Hey, everybody. Okay, this is a bonus episode. This is extra. If 15 minutes of Parsha a week is not enough for you, if you're jonesing for more Parsha, then you, you may know that I teach a weekly Parsha class here at ICAR in Los Angeles every Thursday at noon uh, Pacific time. You're welcome. Um, we've got folks joining us virtually from places as far away as Japan on, on Zoom. And uh, we've been archiving video edits of the classes on YouTube, but we thought we might try cutting down the one-hour class to about 40 minutes for you, for the listeners of the Best Book Ever podcasts that might not be able to fit a midday class on a Thursday into your schedule. So I hope you enjoy listening to these as much as I enjoy teaching them. Um, if you're interested to attend the class from wherever you are in the world in person, then stick around at the end of the podcast. I'll tell you how to register. Um, just like the podcast, it's absolutely free, and we'd love to have you. All right. That song always does it for me, right? Yeah, God bless George Michael. Um, okay. Um, what is on, uh, what, what, what pasuk, what verse from the Torah is on the Liberty Bell? You know, some of you know, right? What's on the Liberty Bell? <laughs> Maybe the Torah confused. What's on the Liberty Bell? Proclaim liberty throughout the land for all its inhabitants. I see Joe Schwartz raised his hand. So Joe Schwartz knew. Uh, I'm gonna trust that Joe Schwartz knew. Um, Excuse 2510. Oh, oh, chapter and verse, right? Like, uh, you know, the Protestants really have us beat on that front. So we gotta start learning our chapter and verse. Okay, um, that's right. Proclaim liberty throughout the land for all its inhabitants is inscribed on the Liberty Bell. Um, it's there in Philadelphia. I, 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 my father once took me to go visit it. Um, so that's an incredible thing that a verse from our Torah is there on the Liberty Bell. And, um, and it makes some sense, right? Because aren't we a tradition that celebrates freedom? Isn't that our founding narrative? Isn't that what Passover is all about? Zman cherutenu, the time of our freedom. Freedom is a big concept in Jewish tradition, but there isn't actually a common uh, or a commonly used word for freedom. That language I just quoted from our prayer, Zman Cherutinu, the time of our liberation. Cherut is a rabbinic word. Cherut, that's the rabbinic word for freedom. It's much later usage. It doesn't appear in the, in, the, in the Bible, in the Hebrew Bible that way. And in fact, in the story of the Exodus from Egypt, there isn't really a reference to freedom right? I will free you. There is like, there are a lot of other words like um, redeeming. I will redeem you, right? Which is kind of like purchasing you. I will, I will take you away from your master. And then of course, the big word is, is yitzia. You will go out. So you will leave this place of, of bondage. And bondage is certainly a word, but freedom in the way that we, um, in the way that we talk about it sort of post-enlightenment as a kind of value unto itself, doesn't appear um, all that frequently in the, in, our, in, the, in the Torah, but it does appear once. And it is in that verse, you proclaim liberty throughout the land. And the word for liberty there is a very unusual word. And the word is drawer, drawer. Like not like it's kind of like sounds like drawer, like pulling a drawer. A D-R-O-R is probably the way I would translate it. Okay. So that's the that's the the word that we're gonna be meditating on for the next hour. We're gonna have a kind of a a poetic a poetics class. We're gonna think about this word and what it means and how it's been read and how it how it is in context and how it is in 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 other contexts. And so that that's our that's our task for today. So let's uh, let's make a blessing and then we'll and then we'll dig into freedom. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam asher kitshanu b'mitzvotah v'tzivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah. Thank God for 
for giving us um, the, the enough freedom to be able to um, to have access to our to our sacred traditions. Not all not all of our people have had that freedom. Okay, let's uh, let's take a look. Let's take a look. Okay, I'm seeing someone has video and audio delay. I don't know. I hope that I hope that Ellie finds her way back into the class. Okay, Vera, maybe look out for that. Um, thanks to Vera, who's who's. Uh... Oh, Ellie's back. Great. Thanks to Vera, who's running our show today. Okay, here is a source sheet, and here is the appearance of the word freedom or liberty, as the as the bell translates it. Um, there in this week's parsha. This week's parsha, I should say, is parsha Bahar. We usually read it along with Parshat uh, Bechukotai. And so we forget that Bahar is a very short Parsha, but it's almost exclusively devoted to one thing. And that is the Jubilee year, the Jubilee year. And um, Vera, if you can share the podcast, I sort of explained what the Jubilee year is in the podcast this week. But in short, um, every seven years, there's a sabbatical year. That's let the land rest, don't, don't, um, don't grow crops on the land. Um, just, just don't farm the land, in other words. Um, and the poor can come by and take whatever they want. And so no farming on the seventh year. We're actually in a Shemitah year right now. But then every seven times seven years, right? that's 49, the next year, the 50th, is a Jubilee year. And the Jubilee year is an extra sabbatical year, but it's sabbatical plus. It's sabbatical um, year. All of those same regulations of not... Um, farming the land, but but more. There's more, and so let's take a look at what there what happens in the jubilee year, that fiftieth year. Okay, you shall count off seven weeks of years. That's a funny way to phrase it, but it's picking up on our our Svirata Omer language, our counting of the Omer. You shall count off seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the period of seven weeks of years gives you a total of forty nine years. Uh, it's a funny phrasing, but, you know, 49 years is the point. Then you shall sound the blast of the shofar. Vavarta shofar trua. In the seventh month, on the 10th day of the month, the day of atonement. That's Yom Kippur. Biyom HaKippurim. That's actually what I talked about in the, uh, in the podcast. Not what we're going to talk about today. But this all happens in the 50th year, the 10th day into the year, Yom Kippur you shall sound the shofar throughout the land. And you shall hallow the 50th year. You make it, make it sacred. And here it is. Kidashtem et shnat hachamishim shana ukaratem dror ba'aretz. You shall proclaim liberty throughout the land. Ukaratem dror. There's our word, dror. Dalet resh vav dalet, dror. You shall proclaim liberty throughout the land. Lechol yoshveha. For all its inhabitants, in its inhabitants. Okay, that's the that's the Liberty Bell quote right here. You shall actually it just starts with proclaim. Proclaim liberty throughout the land for all of its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Yovelhi tielechem. Each of you shall return to your holding, and each of you shall return to your family. Meaning everybody goes back to their family's ancestral plot, those plots of land that were assigned by God as they came into the into the land. The 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. You shall not sow, neither shall you reap the aftergrowth or harvest the untrimmed vines, for it is a jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You may only eat the growth direct from the field. Okay. Now, there's lots to think about with the jubilee year. That's, uh, that's the big subject this week. Um, but for our purposes, I just want to try and focus on the on this on this proclamation: freedom throughout the land. Now, in the context that we just read, what is the freedom that is being proclaimed throughout the land? And there is there is an answer. There is a straightforward answer to this, and which is discussed later in the parsha, which is that all who are in servitude go free, right? Um, all who are in servitude go, go free, no matter where they are. There's a rule that you can be in servitude for six years, and you go free in the seventh year. But you, no matter where you are in that cycle, or if you chose not to go free in the seventh year, it doesn't matter. Everybody goes free in the 50th year. Okay, so all, all, 
all 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 Hebrew slaves, I should say. Like it gets complicated. Slaves that you capture from war from other nations um, that doesn't necessarily apply. And uh, Lindsay Boyd is going to be speaking about that this Shabbat. So come to come to Shul Shabbat this Shabbat. But for our purposes, what is this freedom in context? Why and why this moment of like scream it out the freedom, freedom. What is the freedom? What is the freedom? I guess it maybe it's just as simple as what I said. All who are in bondage go free. But what else do we see in this passage that gives us some understanding of this word that we 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 rarely see in 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 Tanakh at all? There are many um, there are many rules of the of the jubilee year and even of the sabbatical year. One of them is all debts are released. Okay, so everybody goes back to their original plot of land. That's one property um, reset, like all land that's been purchased in the meantime, that's too bad. Everybody goes back to their original family plot. And another um, economic regulation is that all debt is released. And yet El says, okay, so there's the actual, the actual release of those in servitude, but also there's a release of all who are in economic and economic bind. And, and so we start to get the feeling that this year is about all kinds of freedom, economic freedom, as well as physical freedom, right? And what else, what else, what other kinds of freedom? So, so Matt, what, do you, what are you seeing here? Sorry. Calling it people. Feels, right. Thank you. Um, it feels, what, what, one of the meanings of the word natural these days, let things be as, as they're supposed to be without all that work we've done to it. So it's, and now saying that, I hear a, another echo of Shabbat. Mm. But it's like, the way things are supposed to be, go back to your land, don't be plowing, don't let, let everything be, I would use the word natural here in, in that sense of the word. Good, good. That's good. Okay, good. So yeah, El picked up on some of the ec economic implications um, and regulations in the in the in the jubilee year. And Matt is picking up on the agricultural um, regulations of both the sabbatical and and the jubilee year. And as we read, you just let the land go free. the The language is actually quite striking. You may only eat growth direct from the field. Right? You just let it grow. You don't trim anything. And Matt says, that's also part of the spirit of freedom is just let everything be as it is. Let everything grow as it grows. Stop, you know, farming is, is a form of, of, of regulating, constricting, and limiting the life of the, of, the, of the ground, of the plants from the ground. And so too, just as, as people are being released in all kinds of ways. So just let the land be. There's a, a larger kind of almost um, ontological freedom. Everything is just free to grow and be. Okay, great. That's, that's a great um, framing that, that, that Matt is offering us. And let's, let's keep that in mind as we start to think about the, the many ways that we might describe um, the concept of freedom, the proclamation of freedom. All right, let's take one more uh, thought on this and then we'll push forward a little bit. Payam? It's the right to start over. You're almost putting like a 50 year cap on whatever you do and whatever happens. It doesn't go on in perpetuity. There's 50 years and then after 50 years, no matter who you are, you know, no matter what choices you made, you can start over. I think it's a really interesting, different concept. Yeah. Quality. Yeah, so I might say the way that Payam's framing it is freedom from the past. Freedom from what was, freedom from the mistakes I've made, freedom from the deals I've 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 been um, I've been um, lured into or or mistaken. Like I have a I have, I'm I can start over again. I can just today I move forward. I am free. Everything is and and it's not like oh I'm going to start over again. But I everybody's starting over again. So it's not, it doesn't put you in a position of vulnerability to be restarting your life. The whole society is starting over again. So what, what, and that's a powerful, that's a powerful framework that Payam is giving us. What does it mean to think of freedom as, as the, the blank slate, the ability to just see what happens? Okay. All right, great. Um, I see some other hands come up and I think the way that this class works, all, it'll, all of our comments will be relevant at all times. I'm going to keep kind of feeding us, um, I'm going to keep feeding us 
descriptions, impressions, interpretations of the word freedom and um, or the word drawer here. And the, the first that, that, uh, that I want to turn to is, is, is that uh, of Rashi. Um, and we're going uh, we're gonna to do a kind of a classic thing today where we look at the big three commentators, Rashi, the Ibn Ezra, and the Ramban, the sort of the, the most classic of the medieval commentators, and Rashi, the most classic of all. So first stop is Rashi. And Rashi's bringing us uh, a citation, as he usually does, from the Talmud. So let's see what Rashi, let's see Rashi's definition of freedom and see if it, it, it adds or, uh, or, 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 or sharpens anything we've said so far. So here's Rashi's, um, okay. Rashi says, you shall proclaim liberty, drawer. Amar Rebbe Yehuda, in the Talmud Rebbe Yehuda said, what is, mahu lashon drawer? What is the etymology of the term drawer? This, Everybody agrees in the Talmud, by the way, that it means cherut, freedom. That seems to be consensus. But what is the real meaning of it? And uh, Rashi quotes, kim dayar be daira. It's like one who dwells, madayar, in a dwelling, daira. Okay, that's, that's weird. It's like one who dwells in a dwelling. It's like someone who is, is dira in, in Hebrew, in modern Hebrew is an apartment. So it's a little bit, the language is a little bit like a temporary dwelling, right? Not in a bait, a house, but just in a, a dwelling place. And what does Rashi say that means? It means that he may dwell in any place he pleases and is not under the control of others. Shadar makom shahu rotze. He dwells when, wherever he wants. Ve'eno birshut acherim. He is not, and here's, here's a word, here's another word we're going to pay attention to. Reshut. Reshut here, reshut means um, domain. It's probably the most straightforward, the reshut, like we say, reshut rabim is the public space and reshut yachid is private space. So it's do different domains, but the way Rashi is using it here, it's control, which is also not under the domain, under the dominion of, okay? So this is a quite an interesting formulation that the Talmud has chosen. Of all the, uh, we've already heard some great suggestions for the, the how this drawer echoes throughout the passage and throughout the, the institution of Jubilee. Rashi wants, wants us to focus on the idea that someone can live wherever they want and nobody's telling them where to live. So why, why focus on that? What does that add here? What does that add here? Uh, now, I, I said, uh, okay, so I'm going to start with Cindy and then, and, and then turn to Ariella. Okay, so this is like particularly meaningful to me. I was raised Mormon and this whole concept of what we're talking about is all the reasons that from the time I was four, I couldn't understand how grownups were accepting the teachings and so the freedom to dwell where anywhere that you please is kind of metaphorically how I see the freedom to dwell in the moral framework that I choose. Um, it's, you know, free, like it's, uh, what's it say? It's, um, you know, the freedom to live like from chronic shame in Mormonism, there's a lot of uh, fear of the consequences of your past and fear of the future and, uh, now I like have, don't have to live within that framework. Uh, you're in your own. You're in your own. Oh, your own domain now. Exactly. Your own intellectual, spiritual, psychological domain as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. I, I love what Cindy's done with that, right? And I think Rashi is pushing us there, and Cindy picks up on it, right? Which is to say that Rashi's taking it literally because it's about etymology. So it's about like dwelling somewhere, and you're not. You know, you don't have a landlord. You don't have a, you know, you don't have anyone telling you what to do. You can go wherever you please. And then the language of not being under the dominion of others is that kind of, Cindy's picking up on that and saying, what does it mean to be under the dominion of others? You might be on their property, but you also kind of have to submit to their control, their worldview, their way of thinking, being. It's like, 
liberation from the from not just the place you grew up in, but maybe the culture you grew up in, and maybe the worldview that you grew up in. There's something about this person who's able to dwell wherever they please that is that's liberation is is freedom, freedom of 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 movement, and freedom of consciousness of conscience. Right? Okay, so that's good. You want to add to that, Cindy? Uh, I'm not hearing you. You're muted. Just a very concise example of what this looks like to me is growing up, I always loved to uh, spend time with the special education kids. And I chose to help them eat lunch and read to them, et cetera, during my recess time. But according to the domain that I was forced to live in, that didn't matter if I had an impure thought. So it, I was forced to kind of be in this chronic shame state that I couldn't understand why the good things I did didn't matter if I did mm. drink coffee. Um, so mm. yeah, just freedom from chronic shame. Yeah, being in a kind of a psychically being in the dominion of others, right? Just sort of like one's, one's, one's very thoughts are, uh, are under the control of, under the regulation of some other domain instead of uh, some kind of one one one's own personal private space to be to live to think to feel okay good we're already in very very philosophical space here okay um so uh so let's keep uh, pushing forward ariella what do you think well what i think is everybody is at a common denominator it's there isn't this me above you, you above me, the rabbi is above the people. It's everybody is one. Good, good, right, good. There is some suggestion here. If some, if there's a, a dominion that you can be subject to, that means there are authorities. There are people in control. Usually, sometimes we even use the word reshoot, that dominion word, just as a as a as a way of speaking about the government, right? I'll 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 Don't become too familiar with the ruling authorities. They teach in Pirkei Avot because, like you know, like the Romans are great at building aqueducts, but don't like you know. In the end, they're in control, and that's you gotta you gotta be careful. So there's some hierarchy being suggested here by Rashi. And Ariella says, so it must be that freedom means some sort of leveling. And indeed, the Jubilee levels the playing field. But, but Ariella is saying also the leveling of status. Nobody is the rabbi. Nobody is the priest. Nobody is the king. Nobody is, nobody's in charge. Okay. It's getting kind of radical. Right? Kind of, kind of, kind of radical, kind of quickly. Okay, so let's. Uh, so that's now we've got a, the context of drawer as it appears in our uh, in our passage. Context of the jubilee year. Tease that out a little bit. Um, now we've got Rashi's very specific idea of the the one who can go go where they please and is not subject to the dominion of others. Okay. Now I said we'll be dealing in sort of in poetics here and uh, and it's the Ibn Ezra, the other, like if we're clicking down the most famous, the most classic medieval commentators, it's Rashi and then the Ibn Ezra. Rashi is like 11th century Ibn Ezra is 12th century. Uh, I always get this century thing wrong. It's so annoying that 12th century is the 1100s and 11th century is the 1000s. It's so annoying, but okay. So uh, Ibn Ezra is just a little bit later, just a little bit later. So, and, and Rashi's French and Ibn Ezra's Spanish and that, okay, fine. There's just some biographical details, but here's the Ibn Ezra, um, who is also um, different um, from Rashi in that Rashi is usually just citing the tradition, whereas the Ibn Ezra is much more of a grammarian, a language guy. And here he's going to, going to give us some linguistic connections, some, some linguistic echoes that he, that he has found in other parts of the Hebrew Bible. So let's take a look at what the Ibn Ezra says for some very beautiful imagery, some very tender imagery um, in, in, in his attempt to, to define drawer, this liberty. Drawer, liberty, freedom. It is known 
that this means something like free, chofshi, kmo chofshi. Here's another word for freedom, chofshi. Okay. And, and then he quotes Proverbs. As the flying swallow. Okay, the word here, drawer, let's see if I can, let's see. We'll do it, we'll do it just to, just to prove him right. Let's do a little definition here. Um, this is a very cool feature of Safari is you can just click on a word and it'll give you, okay, here we go. So flowing free one liberty, flowing liberty, a swallow, a bird, okay? So a bird. So one word for drawer, a drawer is a swallow, like a little, a little bird. And now take a look at what um, the Ibnet, so that's a quote from Proverbs, like a, like a flying bird, like a flying little, little swallow. And why connect it to that? It seems like a different usage of drawer. Why connect it to that? And the Ibn Ezra says, it refers to a small bird that produces music when it is free. And here I told you to, to look for this word, reshoot, but it's, it's that same word, when it is free. Um, under its own domain, right? Like same, same word there. However, if it is taken captive, the imbuhubereshut adam by people, if it's in our reshoot, it refuses to eat and will starve to death. And will starve to death. Starve itself to death. Okay. So I don't know about the science of this, but it's quite that's quite a striking image to bring to our consideration of drawer. Drawer is like the freedom of a, of a, of a bird in, in its natural, in flight, in its natural domain. Because, and now this is, a, I'd love to hear thoughts on what, what, it, what, is the, what this says about freedom. But the bird, when we capture the bird, it doesn't, it doesn't chirp. It doesn't produce music. But when it's free, that's when we hear the bird chirping. That's when we hear the bird singing. So I, I don't know if there's some uh, biologists out there that can help us, but just in terms of the poetry here, what is the Ibn Ezra adding to our concept of freedom so far, you know, which we've been processing through the human realm. And suddenly it, we have this new idea that a bird can be free too. A bird can be free too. And when a bird is free, it sings. Okay, so Leah, what do you think of that? We have this in the water by the waters of Babylon. How can we sing our songs when we're enslaved? Mm. Um, and why? I, that's a great connection. That's a great connection. We can't when we're really when we're really in bondage and slave. We we like we don't have the voice to sing. But what does that what does that mean? Why can't we? Let's well, sing. I think we're projecting onto birds what is in our own hearts hmm. um, is that when we are in bondage, we're heartbroken, that some basic essential thing um, is being oppressed and therefore we cannot realize our true natures and we can't fly. Our consciousness yeah. cannot fly that we're earthbound because of the bondage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our heart, our hearts are broken. Right? There is, you know, I'm thinking as you're talking, I'm like thinking of all of the like incredible music that slaves have actually produced, but it's a different kind of music. It's a music of heart, of heart, heartbreak, right? And the chirp of the bird is like free music, you know, like liberated music. So what does it mean to, to have, a, have a, a free heart that can sing its song, you know? It's like, you know, so I, it sounds like I'm being, you know, rabbinic, like, you know, I'm giving a sermon, but that's what the Ibn Ezra is asking us to consider is like we, to be free, proclaim the kind of freedom that the bird, that the bird in flight knows that kind of freedom, not the bird in a cage and not the bird in a cage. Um, Matt. Well, I was just thinking of the word joy, like singing is associated with the opposite of bondage. So, uh, it's an expression of joy, not freedom. Equal is uh, brings people joy. Yes. 
That's a, that is, that's a profound thing to say, that we speak of freedom as a quality unto itself, not being in bondage, but having, as Rashi would put it, freedom of movement, being self-empowered, having control. And Matt suggests something I think we know to be true, and maybe the Ibn Ezra is suggesting it as well, but it's not necessarily um, obvious, which is that we associate freedom, the quality of freedom, the sort of, sometimes it's even a political concept, but we associate it with, with joy, right? Like the, the, the liberty, you know, is the liberty to, to, to pursue, you know, to, to pursue happiness, for, for example. But no, even more than that, being free itself is like a joyous state. There's something about feeling free that is, that is feeling that happiness already, right? So proclaiming liberty throughout the land is, is asking people to rejoice. And after all, the Jubilee year is the year of rejoicing, right? So in order to rejoice, you need to be free. And being free is itself a kind of a joyous, a joyous feeling, a joyous state of being. Okay, okay. The bird stops singing and then starves itself to death. That's, that's pretty intense. And there's, a kind, there's death there. There's a kind of the captivity. It not only robs the bird of its song, but also of its will to live. And also there's a way in which, you know, this is the only, I think about like people, people who would starve themselves to death, right? In, in a situation of captivity or kill themselves. In it. And that's, that almost becomes the only form of freedom they have, right? The only form of freedom to have is to like, you want to hold me captive? Well, I can, I can die, right? So, but Kathy then, so that image in itself is, is worth uh, pausing on because it's quite as beautiful as the bird singing, so tragic is the bird who not only doesn't sing, but, but dies in the cage. So that's important. But then Kathy says, and it's no coincidence that the bird is not eating because that's the concern of all of this. The concern of the Jubilee year is that some people are trapped in bondage, but also that some people are trapped in economic bondage and everybody should be able to eat off the land and everybody should be able to, that's the idea. The idea is just let the land grow and everybody can have, nobody is rich anymore. Nobody has debts anymore. No, everybody can just eat off the land now, but that seems like, well, that's a, I mean, let's try that, not growing crops once every seven years, but there's a kind of a divine oversight to it all that seems to suggest you'll be provided for, you'll be taken care of. And then Kathy, as she always does, takes us back to the Garden of Eden, but that's exactly right. The sabbatical year, the Jubilee year, are hearkening back to the Garden of Eden, that sort of just things growing unregulated and you come by and you take what you need. You just eat. And that's true freedom, but it's not, you know, short of a Jubilee year and short of a Garden of Eden, it's not really possible. It's that we don't just, we can't just let things be and everybody will have what they need. So we're always in a less than ideal state where we're trying to figure out how, how is it that someone can be the basic, what are the basic thing you would do with your freedom is feed yourself. Right? If you're not able to do that, no matter whose dominion you're under, you are not, you are not free. Okay, so that's important. And it goes all the way, all the way back to the Garden of Eden, but all the way through, um, as, as Kathy suggests, the, the Jubilee context itself. Okay, now uh, I want to I throw a kind of a, a twist into our analysis and to do something which, if you know me, uh, you know, by now, you know, I, I love to do this. I love to do this, which is to find the one other place in the Torah, <laughs> the one other place in the Torah where this word is used. And indeed, the word drawer is only used two times in the Torah. And I, I, I am a, I'm like a firm believer that when, when the word is only used two times in the Torah, I mean, I think all of the, lingu the, 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 the linguistic connections between words are significant. There's echoes throughout the Torah. When there's only two usages, it's as if these two passages are are speaking to one another, are in dialogue with one another, direct dialogue, you might say, with one another. And I think that, by the way, works whether God wrote the Torah 
or Moses wrote the Torah, or it was edited by, you know, a team of editors. Just like somebody wants, there's only these two appearances of this word throughout the Torah. Somebody wants us to meditate on, on what the connection might be. And in this case, it's a very strange connection. It's a very, um, it's going to require some meditation because the other place that the word drawer is used in the Torah, it doesn't seem to mean freedom at all. In fact, it is in the description of the making of the sacred anointing oil that the priests would use to anoint one another and also to, um, to sanctify various objects in the tabernacle. What? Okay, what am I talking about? But take a look here. This is the other use of the word drawer. The Eternal spoke to Moses saying, now take choice spices. 500 weight or 500 shkalim, um, or no, just 500 uh, weight, 500 weight, chamesh uh, me'ot, of flowing myrrh, flowing myrrh. And that word that I'm translating as flowing, you might've seen it when I clicked on, on drawer before, that's another meaning for drawer, which is right here. Myrrh is more or mar or more at this word here. And then this word in context means flowing myrrh, okay? And that's a kind of a perfume. We'll, 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 we'll talk a little bit of what, what exactly myrrh is. But um, that's the other use of the word drawer. So now let's see the whole context here and try to figure out what might the connection be? I mean, just linguistically, what might the connection be? Half as much, 250 of fragrant cinnamon, 250 of aromatic cane, 500 by the sanctuary weight. That's here's where the shekel comes in. Of cassia um, and a hin, that's a volume unit of olive oil. Now, you know, this is like a recipe. Make of this a sacred anointing oil, a compound of the ingredients expertly blended to serve as sacred anointing oil. With it, anoint the tent of meeting, the ark of the pact, the table and all its utensils, the lampstand and all its fittings, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils and the, the laver and its stand. Thus you shall consecrate them so that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them shall be consecrated. You shall also anoint Aaron and his sons, consecrating them to serve me as priests and speak to the Israelite people as follows. This shall be an anointing oil sacred to me throughout the ages. Shemen Mishchat Kodesh. Shemen Mishchat Kodesh. Yezeli Ledorotechem. Okay, Shemen Mishchat Kodesh. By the way, today is, this is an aside, but, uh, but today is Lagba Omer, the, uh, the celebratory day of the Omer. And we, it's celebratory uh, because, for many reasons, but one of them is that it's the Yort site, that the, the day of memory of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Uh, the great kind of mystical inspiration for the for 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 the, the for the Kabbalah, and so I was trying to think if I could make any connection to Bar Yochai. But there's this great song, Bar Yochai Nimshachta Shecha. But um, so that's a great song. But one of the one of the images that it borrows is Sheman Mishchat Kodesh. Like you take the 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 you've been anointed with this holy oil. Okay, so there's our connection to Bar Yochai. Okay, Bar Yochai, Shem Bar Yochai, um, our tradition says is the author of the Zohar, right? So, okay, why, why that, uh, that, now that's just an aside, but, um, but the Zohar and the mystical tradition, they were actually interested in the formulas, the recipes, like what's going on with this oil? What's going on in the, in the temple with the spices and the oils and the, okay. So there's, this is a, a kind of a different kind of Jewish text or Torah text, which is one that is, that is much more about like the um, aesthetic sensory experience. But um, it's also the other use of the word drawer. So myrrh, first of all, what is myrrh? Some kind of, well, we'll talk about that. What is myrrh? But um, but what does it mean to that the other use of the word drawer is flowing, like flowing myrrh, flowing myrrh? Okay, so Payam's got an answer for us. I'm just going to hold off just to see if I can bring somebody, anybody who hasn't spoken? 
thoughts on the connection between the freedom of, 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 of the people in the land and the freedom of the myrrh or the flowing nature of the myrrh. Just holding off for a second before I turn back to my, my, my dear friends. Okay, all right, let's uh, turn back to Payam then. I love that the word for flowing and freedom is the same because if freedom is starting over, what's the ultimate story of starting over? Noah. And mm. what's the story of Noah? Flowing waters. So it's all connected to Noah. Okay, that's interesting, but, but, but I guess I, I love it too, but I want to ask why, why are they related? What is the relationship? Here, let's do this again with the dictionary. Payam, you know, suggests something uh, interesting just with the story of Noah as another restart story, right? And I think Payam's saying you got to kind of wash, wash away the old, wash away the old. Well, Noah's so, story of water, flowing water. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but let's just think again for a second about the, the just the definition. It's whoa, where is this? Okay, here we are. Um, yeah, yeah, let's just do this again. Drawer, a flowing, free run, liberty, flowing as of myrrh, or yeah, they give the two definitions because these are the only two we really have flowing as of myrrh or liberty. And then, of course, the swallow of the bird. Now we've seen everything the dictionary has to offer. So, but what's the connection between? the flow of a fragrant of a fragrance and freedom right uh matt what do you think i seems to me that th that this is an obvious thing that freedom that flowing things move that they they don't have a single state to be in a single location a single shape that you know, to use water, you put a piece of ice on a plate and it stays the shape it is. And you put water and it flows around and it moves. Um, but I also just, as I said in the, never mind. Yeah, that's it. No, that's, that's good. That's good. So that's great, actually, Matt. Matt's exactly right. And you imagine, you know, like, you know, a fragrance like just sort of, uh, you know, dispersing through the air and that kind of the movement of those particles. And Matt's right. That's, and Matt's right that Rashi was right, that there is something fundamental here from the very start about the idea that freedom is, is related to freedom of movement, the freedom to just go and be and live and exist wherever you wish. And there's some relationship here now between that kind of freedom and the flow of a fragrant spice that can just, just, just who knows where it goes, it's traveling. And there's something important about that, that freedom is the freedom to flow, the freedom to wander, the freedom to just sort of, you know, just sort of like drift out there, right? Almost like, like a fragrance. Um, uh, Rabbi Zaki. Thank you. I just started thinking about song and the birds singing and our singing, and it goes out into the universe, just like the flow of the wind or the uh, mm, very just, nice. I'm just that's linking not, that, it back to that. Yeah, that's very nice. We're seeing Rabbi Zaki's reminding us that we're seeing in all of these images the song that just leaves that, and you'd imagine actually the echo, the sound waves echoing, right? The yeah. fragrance that just sort of dis, di, di, disperses, and, and the, the chanting of like the chanting of the Torah. It when somebody during services is chanting Torah, it it changes the energy. Mm. It's flowing out. Flowing out. Okay, the freedom to flow out. All right, good. So in our kind of poetic investigation here, this is part of what we're seeing is maybe there's some, some need for constriction sometimes and, um, and, and therefore like some desire for liberation from that constriction. But there is also, make no mistake, too much constriction. And the bird that, that starves itself to death has been too dominated, right? And, the, and the, um, the slave that works for more than six years, that's too, I mean, again, we have a whole different paradigm now, but that's too much. There's a certain kind of, it can't go on forever. Even if we, we understand that part of what freedom represents is sort of chaos, entropy. 
And that we can't have all the time, right? So there's a real tension here. There's a real struggle here. Okay. All right, great. Um, I want to show you one more text uh, in part because uh, I, I want to check all my three boxes of Rashi, um, the Ibn Ezra and the Ramban. These are kind of the big three. And I want to, I want to, um, I'd like to, I'm always happy when I can turn to all three of them in the course of a class, but also because the Ramban offers us another image and does with the dexterity that only he has, he does a great job of taking the, the drawer of the, of the myrrh and the drawer of the Jubilee and finding a kind of weird connection between them, as Matt was doing, finding a kind of weird connection between them and giving us yet another image of, of freedom. So take a look at what he says here. He says, um, oops, okay, here where I am. Ooh, okay, here we go. So here is the Ramban on, uh, okay, so flowing myrrh. He's actually commenting on the, on the flowing myrrh, right, back in Exodus. So he says the commentators, including, and I love just the way he puts this, Harav Rabbi Moshe, and he's referring to Maimonides, but he just calls him the master, um, the master Rabbi Moshe. Um, all of the commentators, they've generally agreed that more myrrh is that perfume which is called musk, musk. And um, moose, he calls it, moose, musk. And musk is an animal perfume and even, de even describes later on a substance gathered in a glandular sac under the skin of the neck of a deer. Okay, does that sound right? I don't, I don't know anything about this stuff. So like musk is originally a kind of an animal scent. Okay, so, um, but, he but he says, he's, he's, he's in Exodus, but he's already, he already knows that eventually this word will mean freedom. Meanwhile, others have explained that the word drawer is related to, and you shall pro proclaim liberty, freedom that we've been thinking about. Meaning, so how do you make sense of that? Well, they say, oh, maybe it's like freely flowing, so it's free from any um, imitation or adulteration. So it's pure, free of additives. But he doesn't like that answer. So what's the real connection between the freedom of movement and the, the, the myrrh of, of deer scent? Strange connection, but he finds one. But perhaps we can say, he says, that when the Torah requires it to be, that the Torah requires it to be gathered when it's free, meaning that it should be taken from that deer while it is free. And listen to this language, wandering between the spice beds and enjoying itself at will. Because once it is captured and held in the possession of human beings, there's that word again. All of our commentators have used this, oops, use this word as the counterpode to freedom, reshoot, dominion. But so the deer is wandering between the spice beds and enjoying itself at, at, at will because once it's captured and held in the possession of human beings, it produces but little more or, or myrrh and does not have such a pleasant odor. And this he says is quite obvious. <laughs> we know this. Now, I don't know how obvious it is. I don't know any of the science of that at all. But the imagery, I want to turn again to my, my stepfather. He's usually my, I lean, lean on him in, in matters of biology. But the imagery is quite striking. It's actually similar to imagery we've seen before. Again, the human being capturing an animal, just like the Ibn Ezra imagines we capture the bird, and the bird stops singing. But in this case, the Torah wants us to get myrrh or musk from a free animal. Because if we capture the animal to get it, there's something a little different about this image. It stops producing the scent. It stop. It starts smelling bad, and it doesn't. It, it's weak and 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 foul, right? So, so as just as we come to a close here, is there anything? Is there anything that Ramban is adding? This, in some way, he does a beautiful job of connecting the, all of the, you know, the use the two usages of the flowing freedom and the liberation freedom. But what else, just one last image here, the deer that is captured, just like the bird that was captured, no longer produces a fragrant smell. I see Ariella's got a thought. So Ariella, you wanna, you wanna offer an interpretation? Well, yeah, just a free person thinks and can produce ideas and 
is has a more free flowing than when somebody is in captivity in dominion they can't express the same ideas they're limited as a person beautiful perfect beautiful that's exactly right and this takes us back to cindy's comments at the outset right that like you're in the dominion of another physically but what that ends up meaning is that your your whole being is 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 subject to um the control of another and so this freedom drawer, this, this particular language for freedom, it does, Rashi's right, it does imply a freedom of movement. You have to be able to go where you please, just like a fragrant can go where it pleases. But what's important about that is that that physical freedom is, an, is, is, is necessary for, for the freedom of, of whatever else comes out from within you. Ideas, says Ariella or song, or I don't know, fragrance, whatever beautiful thing emits from your being, that you, you have to be physically free in order to be free enough to give voice to your essence, to give, to give out that, that unique song, that unique voice, that unique idea, that unique part of your being, that also requires a kind of a liberation. But first we have to think about physical liberation because a caged bird and a, and a trapped deer and a subjugated human being in that kind of bondage simply can't give voice to that, to that thing inside of them. And that's what we're really trying to liberate. So we have to liberate their bodies in order to liberate their souls. Great, that is a great place to end. So I uh, wish you a happy Lagba Omer and I will see you uh, next week. Bye everyone. Okay, that's it. A taste of our weekly Parsha class. Uh, I want to thank everyone who came to the class, some of whose voices you may have heard today, uh, some you didn't because the podcast has been edited. So just want to thank everybody. Um, and speaking of editing, I want to thank also our uh, editor, Vera Blossom, for her great work. If you'd like to join our class sometime and come and, and join our, our circle of, of Torah geeks, you can find us uh, again, Thursdays, 12 p.m. online at ikar.org. That's I-K-A-R.org. And, uh, and if you go to the calendar, uh, then you can find a Zoom link and just click in. And, um, and in the section uh, on the website uh, that, that uh, we keep our classes, you can, if you click on Parsha Study, you'll find all of our archive classes and source sheets and everything we discussed there. So if you're looking for a regular Parsha class, I'd love to see you. Um, and, uh, and in the meantime, I will talk to you next week. 